every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Stevie Case, CRO at Vanta. Vanta is the leading trust management platform that helps simplify and centralize security for organizations of all sizes. At Vanta, Stevie oversees and helps expand Vanta's go-to-market team to support the company's rapid growth. She brings over 15 years of sales and business experience, most recently serving as Vice President of Mid-Market Sales at Twilio, a market-leading cloud communications platform. You might also know Stevie as Kill Creek, the world's first female professional gamer. In this episode, Stevie shares her experience and expertise with not forcing prospects into a one-size-fits-all experience, how Vanta stays on top of industry dynamics, and how her team is moving into an always-on approach. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Stevie Case, CRO at Vanta, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Pipeline Visionaries is always presented by the amazing team at Qualified, and we love them dearly. So go check out qualified.com. And my special guest today, Stevie Case, how are you? I am doing great. I'm so happy to be here. Excited to have you on the show. Excited to chat about all Pipeline at Vanta and your background. So let's get into it. What was your first job in marketing? <laughs> this is a great, great question because the honest answer is it's the current job that I have today. Yep. And I embrace that wholly. I will be the first one to say I am not a marketer by trade, but I am extremely passionate about pipeline. And I think that, you know, I've had a, a almost 20 year career in sales and marrying together sales and marketing in a really elegant way. I think is is critical and obviously is is really built to drive the best results. And I tend to think of of one of my key mentors in that reality that I'm in the first marketing related role of my career. That was George Who at Twilio, and George was our COO there. And we were talking about career development at one point, and George was talking about how you figure out what to do when you get a new job, and. He told me that the first marketing job he had ever was as CMO of Salesforce. And I said, George, how did you know what to do? Like, how do you even begin if you've never been in a marketing role? And he said, the truth is, when you take on a job, the most important thing you can do is set some clear priorities for the team, get everybody pulling in the same direction. And if they've got that clarity, chances are you're probably going to get it wrong the first time. You're going to have to iterate on it. But as long as they're moving in a direction, you're going to learn, you're going to iterate, and you're going to be fine. I also think that 
your role as CRO is very emblematic of this modern marketing. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Like if you're a certain type of CMO, if you're like a PLG CMO, like you're the closest person to revenue, right? Like if you're the CRO of a company that has a very SLG motion and it's very enterprise, you're the person closest to revenue. So I think it stands to reason that all this stuff makes sense. It's why like, you know, uh, SDR teams or BDR teams or whatever can roll up into marketing pretty seamlessly or, or vice versa. I think it's just, this is them, the times. And like, I don't think we nailed it, you know, however many years ago when we're like, this is marketing and this is sales. And there are two functions that like, you know, it's not like we got that right. And so it's interesting to see sort of someone like you with your role where you own a bunch of marketing, but not all of marketing. And we'll get into that obviously today. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. And Ch chief revenue officer, it's a relatively new role in the grand scheme of things in, in tech. And I have seen it done a variety of ways. I think some people think of the CRO role as like a VP of sales plus. I was talking about this with the mm. uh, co-founders over at Scratchpad last night. And I think that idea is kind of an old school idea. And I don't think it makes a lot of sense because ultimately, if you're just a VP of sales plus, but you're being account held accountable for the entire revenue number, you can't really drive success like that. Like you can do it indirectly, but it's incredibly inefficient. So I think marrying marketing and sales uh, in a much more natural way, to your point, allows you to get that synergy of moving things back and forth. And in fact, SDR is a good one. I've actually really changed my opinion about where that really should live. I used to be very religious about that living in sales and I feel a little differently now. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that there were a lot of conversations that were really smart back 20 years ago about this like sales and marketing sort of like living in silos, but that's because the buyer's journey lived in a silo back then. Right. It's like now it doesn't. And therefore you can't, you can't just say like, we're going to fill top funnel leads and then like dust our hands and now it's sales job. And then they're going to close. Like that is just not how this stuff works at all anymore. So like, why even pretend that, <laughs> that we should keep the same org structure? Yeah. I mean, pretend is the right word. And I think that anybody who is still pretending that that makes sense or that when prospects come inbound to sales, that they're just starting their buying journey, that that's just a fantasy. We all know that by the time these, these folks make it to your sales team, they have had an entire experience with your brand whether that's on your website or elsewhere or through industry contacts or wherever they got that, that knowledge of, of your company and your brand, they are approaching you from a typically very educated point of view. And that's not the start of their journey. So if you pretend it is and you try to silo those things and, and you don't take into account that full end-to-end -end experience, you're really both missing out on opportunity, but you're also shorting your prospects by not really fully appreciating where they're at in their journey. Okay, let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? Where we go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest pipeline secrets. Zooming out. What does Vanta do? Okay, so Vanta is all about automated compliance and security. So we're really on a mission to create a more secure internet. 
You know, there's so much challenge out there with keeping data secure, protecting consumer data, and so many companies are out there trying to innovate and build great new software. And while they do that, they need to be able to prove that they have secured all of their assets, secured customer data, and that they are compliant with laws and regulations. So we provide our customers with the platform to automate that, those processes and to more efficiently track the, the way that they become compliant and stay compliant. So many of our customers are software companies themselves. And by helping them become compliant, we're helping them get through these very old school antiquated processes, like showing they're compliant with frameworks like SOC 2 or ISO 27001. And when they do that, they unlock the ability to do business either with enterprises or in new geographic markets. So we're accelerating growth for them and also making those security and compliance programs much more efficient. And then in your role as CRO, how is your team organized? What parts of marketing do you oversee? Yeah, so I have the whole sales team. We've got a sales team that is quite large here in North America. We also have an international sales team. We've got a growing presence in Dublin and in Sydney. So we've got a bunch of net new direct sellers out there selling our platform to our customers. We also have a large customer success group because the reality for us is we provide software, but our customers are also going through these very, at times, gnarly audit processes. Yeah. So we've got a team that helps them get through that process and helps them understand what that, that looks like. So customer success rolls into me. We have an implementation team that helps specifically with onboarding there. We have an overlay sales team that sells to our existing customer base. We are the biggest player in our space. We've got about 5,000 customers today. By and large, those are small and medium-sized B2B tech companies as our customers. And then I do have growth marketing. So our marketing, we've got two different parts to that team. Our corporate marketing group has brand and communications and product marketing. That rolls up to our CEO. Growth marketing rolls directly to me. And a lot of that comes back to that synergy and how we drive pipeline and how that entire journey through the funnel drives outcomes. So within growth marketing, we've got demand, we've got paid marketing, we've got events, we've got a campaigns team, we've now got GMs that are organizing our activities around our core ICPs, and that whole crew rolls up to me. I love how you said that, organizing activities around our ICPs. Isn't that what it's all about, right? It's like, gosh, I, I feel like we have this conversation 50 times a week and people are not thinking about things that way. Not on this podcast, of course. The people on this podcast are always thinking about that. But yeah, that's very cool to see. And I, I would imagine it allows a much more holistic sales approach when the sales team is really aware of all those type of growth or demand activities. That's right. And it, it puts everybody a little bit more in the same boat. Rather than having uh, teams that run one-off campaigns and hand things over and then sales, giving offline feedback, you know, we now have a very integrated process. So everybody's in the mix. And some of those changes are pretty recent for us. We've got an incredible leadership team over this growth marketing team that's reorienting the entire way we think about what we do. So we're, we're a growth stage company. We're really evolving the way we work. 
you know, historically we had taken a, a, an approach that was a little more campaign based. It was a little more one off. So hmm. we would identify an initiative or a product launch or whatever it may be. We'd run a campaign against it, but that campaign itself was a little siloed. And the move that we have made and that we're now operating from within is we have GMs that represent each of our two core ICPs. And then those growth GMs are coordinating activities across all of the channels. And they partner very closely with our sales team, with our SDRs. It's really like one team as opposed to feeling like multiple. And they are really focused on always on programs that target yeah. those specific ICPs. So we're going from a world of one-off to a world of scalable and repeatable. I love it. I think this is the modern playbook, the always on campaigns for your ICPs, thinking about audiences, thinking about not just the 5% of the time that they're buying, but the 95% of the time that they're not prepping them, having conversations with them very early in the process. So when they are ready to buy, like I just, again, those are things that like, if you were just to say, we're going to run a bunch of paid stuff for people that are raising their hand with intent, like that's the old way. And so it's cool. It's it's cool to hear you hear you say that in a very forward, pipeline driven approach. It's been a real evolution for us. You know, we as a growth stage company, we are really fortunate. We were first movers in the market. Our CEO Christina Cassiopo created this automated compliance offering, and she created the space. There was nothing like it before she made that. And so we were first to market, and we had such strong product market fit. So we started with that approach, with that very old school, let's just do a bunch of paid and drive it inbound. And our approach and the way we thought about inbound, it was very binary. It was hand raisers and non-hand raisers. And frankly, the non-hand raisers didn't get a lot of love. Yep. As we have matured and started to scale, we've had to introduce much more nuance into to that process and you know, get a lot more thoughtful. We're also moving up market at the same time. So whereas historically... You know, the real heart of the business was selling to startup founders. That remains an important part of our business, but we're looking at an entirely different ICP now. And you got to get really much more thoughtful and evolve the way that you interact with your prospects to make that actually effective. Well, let's get into your ICP. Who are the people that you're selling to? What are those types of organizations? What does that buying committee look like? Yeah, so... Heart of the business remains what we call internally SMBs. It's really tech companies, typically B2B tech companies, and that we are selling in most cases to a founder. So we're looking at either like a CEO of a startup or a CTO of a startup, somebody who's a technical leader in many cases. And often what's driving these companies to come to us is that they're trying to bring a new software offering to market. They go to sell that offering and they immediately start getting these really gnarly spreadsheets with a bunch of security questions. And it's like, answer these thousand security questions and they're just oh, trying yeah. to figure out. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, if you offer something new, that's what you run into. And especially if you're targeting enterprise customers, that becomes such a burden. So we help them tackle that. We help them get SOC 2 compliant, ISO 27,000 one compliant. They typically start there. Some of our customers start with HIPAA. They, they, we're trying to sell healthcare tech and we need to be HIPAA compliant. So we help them get there and then we grow with them. And the persona that we have really grown into 
is this much richer, more interesting upmarket persona. And in many cases, it's a first security hire at a company. So like a security engineer who's actually been hired into a company to run a security program. And as a part of that, they're the one person at the company on the hook to make sure that they're collecting all the evidence and running the compliance processes and the audits. So that's a common persona for us now. And the next stage in that evolution is when a company hires a chief information security officer. So those CISOs are when they exist and we see them come into play somewhere between 250 employees and a thousand, depending on the company, when they come into the mix, they are immediately our buyer because we've got offerings that can help them prove their security posture, improve trust and make their entire program more efficient. So, you know, we are in an interesting place that still the majority of our business is that founder profile. But we are also growing into these like much more complex organizations where you've got potentially an entire security team and in, even in some cases, sales teams who are saying, I need to be compliant to sell my product and I need to answer these questionnaires. Please help me do this in a better way. And they're looking at the security team to solve it. And we really sit at the nexus of that to help our customers solve those problems. So we got a lot of different folks with different views of the world engaged in the buying process. Yeah, it's also just a very, with those different personas, it's a very different buying mindset, right? Like the founder's like, I have one half of 1% of my year that I need to dedicate to this. And it's really, really important that we nail it. But I got other fish to fry. Whereas the person who's, you know, brand new CISO, like that is their job, right? They think about this 24-7. So I'd imagine your demand gen pipeline generating activities are very different for those types of people. Extremely, extremely. You know, it's really uh, it's been such an interesting evolution for us. Those those founders, it's like half of a percent and they'd like it to be even less, frankly. They're like, yeah, I just yeah. need this problem solved. Please unblock me. So they don't want necessarily all the compliance education at that early stage. They just really want the problem solved. Yep. But the customer journey then gets really interesting because that founder who just doesn't want to think about it and needs a problem solved if they're successful, they grow into the company that has the security hire that needs to now have higher confidence in those answers they're giving around security and compliance. And they evolve into the company that hires a CISO. And then it's really about really mitigating risk, reducing cost, and like getting much more efficient in the way they do the work, but increasing confidence in what they're delivering. So that CISO is on the hook and they've got a brand to protect. So they need to be sure they're doing it right. So the needs of each of those personas is very different. And we've had to really, we started by taking our sales team and starting to specialize in teams that sell to those different personas because trying to have one salesperson cover yep. that all, basically impossible. Yep. And we have now moved into the journey of making our approach in marketing mirror that. So that's why we've got GMs that specialize in the different ICPs. Yeah, it's so funny. Like this stuff is like, again, it's so obvious now when you when you see it all and you hear it all. But it's like five years ago, like just people weren't doing things that way. And so it's again, it's so obvious. Someone posted something really interesting on on LinkedIn the other day, and they're saying how startups can grow with like three sales reps to like thirty million in revenue now. And it's like, yeah, you just give all your leads to those people that can that can close deals and essentially you support everything. And I had said like, yeah, if you if you give that AE, that really good closer, 
a subject matter expert who sat in the seat of your buyer, like that's super valuable, right? But like, if you're selling to a founder, like I don't need to talk to another founder to know the pain, right? If you're like, hey, Ian, you right. need to be socked too. I'm like, got it. I know I need to be socked too. Just like literally let me sign the contract with Vanta. But if I'm a CISO, it's like, I need to talk to another CISO. I need to talk to a security professional to learn how this stuff goes. And like, that is such a different sales motion and it's such a different marketing motion. It, it absolutely is. And we have really changed our approach to how we staff our team to reflect that in every part of the business. And, you know, it's a delicate thing as well. We, throughout this journey, we have continued to just have rocket ship growth, but the entire market also shifted around us. Mm -hmm. So every company we are potentially selling to, every prospect, they're facing a completely different set of challenges than they might have 12 months ago. And, you know, you've got other dynamics in the market. Vanta came to market and had a huge amount of success. And that pr strong product market fit, it creates a lot of attraction. And we have attracted yeah. now 40 plus copycat competitors, which is also another dynamic that we've got to consider. And it's really put us in a position to get way more innovative and thoughtful about how we do business. So we have really focused on efficiency and really nailing that message and Part of the journey in the last six months has really been getting to the heart of the prospects who are actually ready to convert rather than trying to force everybody through the same experience, putting everybody on the same journey through the funnel to like book a meeting, see a yeah. demo, and yep. then either close or not close. There's such a different journey there now. And it's taken a lot of work to get there. And it does seem very obvious in retrospect, but it was not so obvious when we started that journey. Yeah, one of the problems that we face in marketing is person says, oh yeah, I'd love to learn about this, you know, disco call, whatever it is. Hey, this is awesome. So glad to know you all exist. And they even say this in the like, hey, I'm not ready to buy. Like, I'm just trying to get this information because second half of the year comes around, I'm going to want to fit this into my budget for us. Like, you know, we want a podcast or we want a video podcast or whatever. And you're like, great. And the problem that marketers have is they're like, okay, how do we keep this warm, right? And sales is like, how do we keep this warm? And you're both thinking like, you know, all these levers that can change and all this other stuff. And if you're trying to shoehorn that person into the old way of like, no, we got to move you through the stages. We got to do this stuff. The person's going to be really pissed off. So I'm curious, like, how do you think about that stage of like, hey, budgeting season is in nine months for us. How do we think about it from a demand gen perspective of keeping that warm and then a sales perspective? Yeah, our, our approach here has has completely changed. You know, we if you look back a year ago, our sales cycle is very short. Typically, it's 28 days. So we relied very heavily on inbound. And if if we didn't close or, you know, the prospect said it's not time or we're not ready or whatever it may be, you know, it went into the backlog and closed lost. And, you know, it's often another universe. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's some very limited nurture happening. And, you know, every now and then an enterprising sales rep would go back in there or SDRs would run a one-off campaign. But again, it wasn't a scalable machine that yep. addressed opportunities. So where we've really grown to over a year is that now we've got always on approaches and we've got much more thoughtful nurtures both for folks that aren't ready right now, but also folks that go to close loss, you know, with so many, so many copycat competitors in the market, the approach of those copycats is often undercut on price. Yeah. So we see a lot of, of churn out of those competitors because 
we'll see folks come in. They're tackling compliance for the first time. So they're new to the space. They don't yet really know what good looks like. So they get offered a lower price elsewhere. So maybe we end up losing the deal on on price. And what we see is a lot of those folks are ready to reconsider, certainly after a year, but often much sooner. So we've had to really evolve this to think about an ongoing relationship with any prospect who is interested in compliance in any form, because they will at some point gravitate back towards a more robust solution. So we need to be there for that, not in a transactional way, but in a way that appreciates where they're at in that journey. And, you know, they're starting out as that founder who just wants the problem to go away. And if they can do that cheaply and easily, great. That perspective shifts when they get more mature. So as they go up that security maturity curve that we're frequently working, they start to appreciate the depth. And, you know, it's been interesting to think about how we build out that journey for them, even when we look when it appears we've lost the original deal to then create engagement that keeps them warm and brings them back. But again, we've got to do that in an always on way. And that's the mission now rather than in a one-off outreach. Yeah. And it's so true that not having your campaigns like nested then, and you're doing these like singular one-offs, especially like product launches, which is like the ultimate one-off of all one-offs which like, again, nobody cares, right? Like people do care on occasion where they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. That Hey, you do this now. Like, great. I'm ready to buy now. But yeah, it's tough. Like you have that person, you close lost, they unsub from your email list. You know, they're, they're not, there's, they have no reason to answer emails anymore. And you go, shoot, what am I going to put in this person in front of this person over the next year to get them to reconsider and just pinging them with emails from your your sales reps, that ain't going to do it. Curious, any, any, any thoughts you have there? You know, we have really, we moved to a much softer approach at that point because nobody likes that. Like they've just made a buying decision. They don't want to be put back into a, are you ready to come buy ours still? Like come back. Are you ready? So it's gotta be much more thoughtful, We really do try to drive much more education at that point. You know, for us, there are some key themes that we're trying to emphasize in that ongoing relationship. One is the speed of innovation. Mm -hmm. That's one of our big differentiators. We're the biggest, we're the fastest growing, and we're innovating Mm -hmm. the fastest. So driving that message home, because what we'll find is if you go with a lower cost competitor, at some point in that journey, you're going to find out that the depth isn't there. And we want to make sure that when you hit that point of realization that there's a lack of depth, that we're there to say, hey, we actually do that and we've got a solution for you. And have you considered solving the problem this way? So it is very much not a sales approach, it's a much more thoughtful and measured education, long-term education of those prospects. So we're trying to nurture that relationship over time. And then it's, you know, additionally just social proof. Hey, you know, it's hard to tell. The market is noisy. It can be hard to tell sometimes that we're the biggest in our space by a mile. And it can be really hard to sort out the, the signal from the noise. So just continue, continuing to reinforce social proof and reinforce the data points that help those prospects understand that reality. And over time, we find a lot of them realize. And when we get folks who are a little skeptical, a little, little dubious, we've introduced a trial And that Mm. trial, we have found massive success. You know, another thing that we've been talking about is like, 
those customer stories where it's like the, hey, this person decided to date this other person and not you. And then all of a sudden you're seeing on their Instagram, like, oh, they're going to Tahiti. Like, we're not going to Tahiti. Like, it's like, oh, that person said that they just had the best ice cream of their life. Like, I'm not eating any ice cream. You know, it's like those sort of things, like just putting those customer stories in, in front of people of like, oh, a bunch of my peers made a different decision than me. And they're all like happy with their decision so much so that they're putting their face in ads. Like, oh, that's not great. And so that's like one thing that I've thought about. The other thing is like, whether it's events or, or, you know, podcasts or, or things where you have a little bit more of a personal connection, people sort of like always look at things like strictly from like a, a, a net new, like sourced pipe sort of perspective, but it's also a great check-in opportunity. That's a lot less, you know, stressful than like, Hey, I'm going to hop on, I'm not going to hop on a call with a sales rep of something that I didn't buy five months ago. But if you see them at a conference, if like you're on their podcast, if you're you know doing some type of engagement there where you can go like, by the way, how's everything going? Are you glad you didn't choose us? And they'd be like, actually, you know, I've been having a few problems. They're like, Hey, we have free trial. Like, if you want to try this, like that's, those are the sort of things that get those, those reps, extra touches and extra like conversations when you kind of have to manufacture something out of nothing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we see a, a huge amount of success with those type of motions. And it really is the visibility and just being there. And you know, for us, we actually, for, for the stage we're at, one of our most successful strategies over the long term has actually been out of home. We've got a, yeah. we do a lot of billboards and that's not super common at our stage, but, you know, we've really leaned into a unique brand that's, a, that's got a little bit more of a wink to it. That's got a little bit more mm-hmm. of a personal feel. It's, it's got a flavor, I think. And, you know, we have, have really embraced what that looks like and, We've got the, our incredible head of corporate marketing, Sarah Scharf. She is a freaking genius. She has come up with tagline after tagline that's really so deeply associated with our brand. And the first one is we do compliance. Sock two is the framework. The tagline is compliance that doesn't sock too much. Oh, yeah, and we've got billboards in tons of cities. And I am constantly shocked how many prospects, how many people I run into at networking events that are like, I love the dad joke. <laughs> like, I get it. I, I laughed. And it's just, it's done more for us as a company than I would have ever expected. All right. Any other thoughts on strategy? Oh, gosh. You know, I, I really, so for us, the other thing we haven't really touched on strategy wise is outbound. Outbound for us this year is the name of the game. And my message to my team is everyone is responsible for pipeline generation. I think one of the classic mistakes is to think like marketing generates pipeline in a silo and then, yeah, sales will go source some too. A lot of people don't even think about customer success. We as a company are committed to everybody in the org driving pipeline. So we rolled out CSQLs this year. So our our customer success managers are responsible for creating opportunities and they feed mm. them to our overlay team. And, you know, we've got hard targets for everybody to drive outbound pipeline generation. And in a tougher market, we are finding that is one of our biggest needle movers. Our AEs, our SDRs, everybody is dramatically exceeding outbound targets. And it's really made the difference for us. So that remains a key pillar. How do they do stuff like that? 
at first very poorly and we learned. And, you know, yeah. for me, I think outbound, like doing outbound well, that's a motion that takes a while to develop and yeah. you have to have a commitment to it. It can't just be a side job or like, you know, one of those things you mention offhandedly, you've got to have discipline and build routine that is data driven around it. And you've got to have your leaders reinforcing the targets, the expectations and the best practices on a regular basis. And then, you know, we've dialed up a new discipline. We used to review pipeline as a part of our weekly forecast cadence. We've actually created an entire additional cadence where we're deep diving on pipeline all sources every single week. So it is a all hands on deck effort. You got to do it in a way that's scalable and thoughtful and evolves. And it's going to be different for everybody. You know, there are like all of the best practices in the world are great, but unless you figure out how to personalize them to your company, your brand and your target personas, it won't work. And really the only way to get there is to a bunch of at bats, lots and lots of practice and lots of data. Yeah. I mean, the old adage, 13 impressions equals, equals a sale. Now those touches, a bunch of those are outbound. Some of those are like, you see the billboard. Some of those are a LinkedIn ad or or an event that they saw or, you know, their friend on, on a podcast, like we were saying, or, or, you know, whatever it is, but like the, all of those collective things, that's what keeps the outbound, you know, working and getting responses. And like, if you're just doing the outbound without the other stuff, or if you're just doing the other stuff without the outbound, it's just not going to be as cohesive. Not at all. Yeah. You got to be in all those places and you've got to have a great high quality human touch. And I love that qualified sponsors podcast. We are extremely happy qualified customers. Love. Oh, qualified. heck yeah. Yeah. I didn't know like, that. Oh yeah. We're huge fans. And you know, it really brought to us, we, we implemented qualified last year, the only brand new net new channel that has delivered material pipeline for us. And it, I think it, works so well in part because it's a part of that broader vision. So we'll we'll look deeper at at things that convert via that qualified chat experience from the website. And what you'll see behind it is exactly what you're describing. Somebody that maybe was outbounded to, they hit the website and they're not ready to hit the sign up form, but we pounce on that, we engage them with a human, and through that interaction we're able to get them set up with a set up with an AE and and talking to sales and you know, we have just seen tremendous success with that experience. So I think the the really elegant use there and what we're working to evolve is the combination of automation and humanity. You really nail that. It's just so powerful. But it's something we're really doubling down on. We're, uh, yeah, we're all in on qualified. Well, isn't that the best thing to hear? Fantastic. Shout out qualified. Everybody go, go check out qualified.com. Okay, let's get to the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook, talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Oh my goodness. Okay. So I, number one is it's got to be, you know, paid for a search engine marketing, very straight up, like, People go out to solve a problem with trying to get compliant with these standards, and there is just tremendous pent-up demand. So just being where those eyeballs are has been very successful for us. So that's an uncuttable basic table stakes. The number two uncuttable for us now is very much outbound. It is something that we 
planned to count on for the year, but it is really the thing that is making our success possible this year. So outbound from SDRs, from AEs, from CSMs, from everybody on the team, from our partners team, from our MSP partners, that outbound motion is at the heart of our success. And that's what's going to allow us to scale because you can keep spending money all over the place, but you've got all these incredible humans on your team. Those folks can create opportunity and create pipeline. And what's so cool is we actually see a higher close rate today on sales sourced pipe than we do on marketing sourced pipe. They're sourcing the right stuff and it's converting. So that is a, a clear number two. And then, you know, the third for us it's it's very counterintuitive. It's probably not on most people's no-cut list, but it's got to be the out-of-home. It just works so well, and the brand equity it's gotten us is phenomenal. And people know those that tagline. They know the pun. They associate it with us. They know that we are the market leader. And therefore, even though it can be a little bit harder to measure that impact, I deep, deep in my gut believe that that is a huge needle mover for us and I would never cut it. I love it. That's fantastic. Any things that you'd be like, maybe are, are the most cuttable or just something that you don't want to invest in or might be fading away? Yeah. You know, we bought a lot of tools over time and, you know, I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but I think the theme of the day is we really can do way more with less. And so, you know, I cut a huge amount of money, seven figures plus of SaaS spend this year, like a lot of people did. And really, we've been able to achieve even more impact with less tools. So it's about going deeper with the tools we have, going deeper with the intent data we have, going deeper with the things that we really see the most value in. And then releasing the rest, because if you spread too broadly on tools, you end up not making good use of any of them. So I am like a lot of the things that I've cut, they're great tools. I'm sure they're very useful, but for our business, we're really paring back to the heart of what works best. And we're putting 110% into those rather than trying to peanut butter across a huge tool stack. You mentioned the the compliance that doesn't suck campaign. Any other campaigns that were either worked really well or or maybe didn't work at all? Yeah, for on the on the great side is free trial. Like that's one thing we really find that our customers love. They want to get hands on. It's a little hard for our our prospects who have never engaged in that process of becoming compliant or proving compliance to understand what's involved and and what it looks like. So an ability to get into the platform and feel it out themselves has been incredibly successful. The most successful version of that, we will do a full white glove experience and help them through it. But we've had success even with the self-service trial. So that's one that has been at the top of the list in terms of success. Say the things that have been less successful, you know, are the things that are perhaps a little more aspirational for us. Mm. So, and in really, like we have had tremendous success in events but not all events. Sure. And where we find that it's a little bit of a, a, you know, an investment that makes a little less sense is if it's too far at the end of the spectrum outside our ICP. So if we're either yeah. at an event that's so focused on teeny tiny, like one to two person companies, which 
that's great. We want to do business with them, but we don't like the event presence is overdoing it and the ROI isn't there. Or we go too far to the other end of the spectrum and we're at an aspirational, like very enterprisey event. And we're just not yet ready as a broader organization to successfully execute on that. Like we can do that, but I can't do a dozen of those a year because we just aren't there yet. So really honing in on the core of what works, the core ICP doing less, but doing it extremely well is what works best for us. Yeah, it's so hard because you talked about this always on strategy. Events are not always on, right? So it's like inherently it's different. And so fitting that in, I mean, events are probably the most polarizing on this because you have a lot of people that it's like would never cut it in a million years. And a lot of people are like, I would probably, or I did literally cut all of our event spend. Um, and not to say there's a right or wrong answer. Every company's different. That's why we do all the preamble to figure out how you go to market. But it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's not an always on thing, right? I would say it's an accelerant, to be honest. It is. So, yeah. Well, and we want to invest in, so we're very committed to events, but we're definitely shifting strategy. So we want to be thoughtful about the amount of lift for the sales and CS teams, because, you know, with events, we're either, you know, staffing that with sales by and large or CS, or we're relying on sales and CS to get customers and prospects to an event. So the, the lift is not insignificant and there's real value there. You know, you put customers and prospects in a room. We do these like customer prospect dinners. It's a combination of customers and prospects. Yep. Anybody who sits in that room, walks out incredibly loyal and like either closing the deal or wanting to work with us or continuing the relationship. The value is so high, but man, the lift is big. Yeah. It's a great point. And because I think events are not, they're, they're never one size fits all. They're always like a unique little flower each to themselves, which makes it super great. Like the feature is the bug, but it makes it really hard to replicate and and if you are doing your own things and those you're like, hey, we got this like good cadence and all that stuff, like you said, it's just a lot, a lot of bandwidth. You gotta be really tight on what you're trying to accomplish with it as well. And I think that's one place we've really learned to get a lot better is in an early days, it was great event, hand wavy goals. <laughs> are we driving yeah. pipeline? Are we like, is it brand? Is what are we doing? And it's like, oh, it's a little bit of all of that. I'm like, that's great, but you know, we are now much more data-driven and thoughtful about those investments. So when we go into an event, we know exactly the outcomes we're trying to drive and we're able to measure the ROI actually manifests or not. Let's get to the desktop. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. Where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales teams, your competitors, your marketing teams, or anyone else. Stevie, have you had a memorable dust up in your career? So many. <laughs> so many. I think when you're when you're really trying to disrupt and you're really trying to drive innovation, you are bound to have dust ups. And I think the goal has to be to be able to have those in a way that is sustainable and respectful and still move forward. Probably one of the most memorable dust-ups I've had over the last couple of years has been with these competitors that have come into the space we created. And 
it was really interesting to come into that because the the initial approach, I think, you know, there was a lot of like consternation and frustration on the team and a desire to like really directly take it on. And what we've really done as an organization is focus inward and like all we can control is our own success, our own execution. So let's just focus on being really good at what we do and allow the competitive noise to fade outside into the background. And that strategy, it's taken time, but oh, it has really paid off. You know, we're running our own race. We're not allowing other companies to dictate our narrative or to change the way we do business. We have really turned it into competitive fuel and focused on confidence inside the company, on execution and on speed. And we have turned into an execution machine over the last year, thanks to that. So it can be really tempting to like cave under that and just become very reactive, but we had to really just refocus on our own mission. What are we trying to accomplish? What are we great at? We've got the strongest product. We've got the strongest team. We're moving the fastest. Let's tell that story instead of being reactive to outside forces. And I think I've really taken that lesson beyond just the competitive landscape to the market or whatever else. There's always stuff going on outside. It rarely pays to over-rotate on that stuff. It almost always comes back to your own execution and driving your own success. Stevie, you're not only a wonderful CRO, but you're also a world-famous gamer. Can you explain the backstory with this? Yeah. So I started my career in a very non-traditional way. I was in university. I had dreams of becoming a lawyer. And this was late 90s to date myself. And Quake came out on the scene, original first-person shooter game. And I was living on a dorm floor that was like an honors floor, lots of really smart people who were very into this video game. And I started playing with them. I got quite good Flash forward, I ended up playing professionally and I had an opportunity to play the designer of the game and I beat him at his own game. (laughs) And that led to a career in pro gaming, which led to a career in technology. So here I am today because I started out as a gamer. It's amazing. That is so cool. Gamer turned sales leader turned marketer. I I would say I'm going to embrace that. I'm hoping I can feel confident enough to say in the near future, okay, maybe I'm a little bit marketer. I'm like a percentage marketer. And the truth is like those, those things, those, the knowledge and the approach that comes out of gaming, gaming is really just about strategy and resource management. It's very data driven. You have to have a lot of situational awareness. You're troubleshooting in real time. You're adjusting strategy. It's really not that different being a CRO. It's all about looking at the data in front of you, looking around at the world and finding those little areas for optimization. What can I tweak or change or restructure that will drive more dollars in the door, better retention, more pipeline? So that same resource management that I was really good at in gaming, I use a lot of those same skills today. The uh, the interface just looks a little different. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, let's get to our quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline faster, 
you already know because you're a qualified customer, apparently, which I didn't know before this. <laughs> so everybody else who's listening, tap into your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly, and I mean instantly, start sales conversations. Quick and easy, just like these questions, go to qualified.com to learn more. Stevie, are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that is not on your resume? Oh, I'm a sailor. I know Ooh. how to sail boats and I love it. It is kind of a secret passion. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, or TV show that you'd like to recommend? Oh my goodness. So yeah, I, I've gone down the, the Huberman rabbit hole lately. So I'm going to say the Huberman podcast is my thing. I'm all into like health hacking right now, biohacking. So it's my guy. It's like super popular right now, right? Because because I've I, I just heard my brother was just talking about this. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's really insightful. He was on F Ferris, I think, maybe? I think he probably was. Yeah, he's everywhere now. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I'm, in, I'm into it too. Let me know what you find out. <laughs> All right. I'm ready for it. Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that maybe sort of indirectly makes you a better marketer? Other than gaming, of course. Yeah, gaming's the big one. I would say, and you know, I've got my plants behind me. I am obsessed with plants and animals. I grew up the child of a biologist. And there is something about a connection with the natural world that slows me down and focuses me. I think it helps me as a marketer, as a salesperson. It takes me out of that very real time day to day and makes me slow down and think. And it that's not always a natural motion for me to slow down. So that I've got these things to help me do it is incredibly helpful. And that's when I come up with Usually my my more interesting and richer strategies is when I'm dealing with my plants. I heard this, and I don't know if this is true, but a friend of mine was a head of facilities for a huge tech company, and they put in wood, like basically like wood and lots of plants in their offices. And they saw some study somewhere that basically like a human feeling the feeling of wood in like their, whether it's their desk or whatever it is, they're like actually is like way better for your psyche and like being around plants and stuff. So I think you're onto something is my point. I think it's real. Yeah. I think there, I think there's real biology behind that. We should get Huberman to do a deep dive there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Final question. What advice would you give to a first time CRO who's trying to figure out how the heck, how the heck to get their pipeline all figured out? My advice would be whatever your scope is and every CRO has slightly different scope. Do not limit your focus to just the scope of your team. You have to think about the entire funnel end to end from day one. If you don't, you're going to fall victim to it. You need to have a mastery of every step in that funnel and make the folks who do own every step in that funnel your best friends. Stevie, absolutely awesome having you on the show. You are amazing. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Other than you should go check out Vanta. If you need to get SOC 2, oh my goodness gracious. That's exactly right. If you need to be compliant, you need help with your security posture, you need to prove your security posture, we are there for you, Vance.com. Also, just check me out on LinkedIn. I post a lot on LinkedIn. I've, I'm building a community there. So love to see folks there and connect. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to our friends at Qualified.com conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.